again if this is your first time listening to the move swiftly podcast welcome to the show i'm happy to have you i know you're gonna be back for some more to my regular listeners listen to me i <laughs> i know you're tired you might you may or may not be tired of hearing me talk about taj on the show he was the one that kicked off the show i'd say at least 70 percent maybe closer to 80 to be honest with you 70 or 80 percent of the guests that i've had on the show i heard on his podcast first and i reached out and you know we got to, to connecting and i tell you guys that all the time and today it's no different you know i heard this young lady speak to todd she she he was actually on her show and then you know the way he works his podcast is he puts the recordings on his show as well and she was so transparent so open and, and was not shying away from the difficult subjects and that's something i always appreciate whenever i hear people talk about it whenever i hear people talk about the things that they do when they're not afraid of getting uncomfortable and, and growing you know just growing so with all that miss hannah valenzuela welcome to the move swiftly podcast how are you hi aswan it's so great to be here i'm doing wonderful i really appreciate you for asking and i'm just excited to have a great conversation today. I love chatting with like-minded people that, I mean, I appreciate how you said it. you can tell I just say it how it is and I'm very transparent. Mm -hmm. And just from listening to the first few episodes of your podcast, you have so many to choose from. It's hard to select, like make selections, but I can right. tell you are no different. So I am in good company today. I'm very excited to see what you have planned. Yes. And, and it, it's, that's how it has to be. You know, we, we live in a world where Again, you have the opportunity to connect with whoever you want to connect with. Take advantage, guys. You know, there's no excuses, no excuses, no excuses for you not getting where it is you're trying to get because the people are there. The resources are there. It's just how you choose to spend your time, what you choose to consume. I'm going to say it again. What you choose to consume, it's on you. And you got to take advantage of these opportunities because they're there. They're happening every single day. People are moving, you know, and, and Hannah, like where where I want to start with you, because it wasn't until after I finished playing football that I became a runner, like a re every single morning I run every single morning. And what it does to my mind, it, it's something that I'm sure you as a former cross country athlete can really relate to that runner's high is something I chase every single morning. But the. The interesting thing is I hated running when I was growing up. I couldn't stand it. I didn't, you know, my mother used to force me, force me, have to force me to run. And, you know, I remember getting, I remember being on a track team and the coach suggested that I do cross country. And I was like, oh, hell no. Like, <laughs> I was like, no way. It's not happening. It's not happening. But you, you, on the other hand, were like a cross country all-star. So I really feel like the best way to start this conversation is, you know, when did you start it and how did you stick with it all the way to the point in which you were, you know, you're on scholarship at UCLA as a cross country runner? Can we can you just kind of dive in a little bit on that and then we'll, we'll get things started from there? Right. Absolutely. That's a great question. I think it's always good to know, like where we get our start. Um, thank you for sharing about your new um enjoyment with the sport yourself um i love it yeah. love it man love it i don't know what i do without it man. right <laughs> love it <laughs> well i'm glad you've been able to experience the endorphins that running brings yes and definitely i would say i started at a pretty young age um i was raised in a very structured household which was you know the best thing to ever happen to me my dad was in the Marines. And he definitely had very like 
a very special discipline about him where he loved exercise. Mm. And I think he knew that incorporating that into his parenting skills would be really good for his daughters. I have two other sisters yeah. as well. And just, I think that running as a child and really any sport, it really enacts like a special sort of discipline because as a child, you really don't have that understanding of what discipline is unless you have it in a real world like, applicable example. And so once you're mm -hmm. doing something every day and even when you feel a little tired after school or it's windy outside and the weather is like, you know, a little inclement, you still feel like, okay, I said I was going to go. I'm going to keep that promise I made to myself. And then from there, I'll feel better and happy that I went. And from there, you know, that builds self-esteem in kids. And so I mm -hmm. definitely didn't necessarily enjoy it at first. I grew up in the high desert. I'm not sure if you're familiar with like where that's at, but um, that's like near, I would say off the 15 freeway on the way to Vegas, um, near like mm. the little Hesperia area. So it's not too pretty there in the summertime. It gets to be about 115 degrees in the afternoon with crazy wind gusts. And so yes, running was definitely like, big adversity in that and um but I just stuck with it like definitely didn't like it at first it was just one of those things where my dad it was kind of a way for me to spend time with my dad if he said hey wow. I'm running do you want to go with me or you know I'm taking your sister's running let's go um or waking me up early and taking me out and I definitely just despised it at first especially because um I'm the middle child so my older sister and my younger sister were both better at it than I which was mm -hmm. just kind of like embarrassing and no one wants to feel like they're like bad at something. And I've never particularly enjoyed doing things I'm not good at, but yeah, I just stuck with it. And I remember one year for a Christmas gift, they um, gave us an unusual present, or at least I felt like it. And they said, for Christmas, we got you guys a membership to a club running team. And they mm. <laughs> the Southern California Roadrunners, the first um, youth prep, team that I was part of and really I owe so much to um for mm. my childhood development and I was just thinking what kind of present is this a membership to oh. the club running team like oh my goodness and ended up being one of the best things to happen to me because it definitely had such an impact on my childhood and shaped my childhood and that's right. really where I received that support to improve and right. I would say it wasn't until I had a breakout race when I was in eighth grade. So by that point, I had already been running for probably like four, at least four years. And um, I was competing at the Mount Sac Invitational. I'm not quite sure how familiar you are with that. But um, the night before the event, I was out shopping with my mom. Yeah. And I kept picking up things that I liked. And every time I picked something up, she said, if you win the race, I'll get it for you. And she right. said it probably about like six different items. I think, right. of course, like not thinking I would win the race. And then I ended up winning that race at Mount Sac. It was like the first overall like eighth grader. Um, right. And this is what I'm assuming, is it the, the 1500? Um, so that was cross country. So um, like that's correct for track in like before you go to college in track, it's the 1600 and the 3200. And that's what I right. competed in. But then for cross country, I believe the distance was... Ooh, it's been a while. I would say it's like a three, I think for high school, it's, oh no, it's three miles. That's where I got confused. It's three miles for high school. And then once you get to college, it's a 6K, which is mm -hmm. just a little over three. But anyway, uh, yeah, so that was my first big win. My mom, she kept her, her end of the bargain and got me those things that she said. And mm -hmm. that was really the start of everything. I would say from there, I just was very blessed. And it was perfect timing as I was getting ready to go into high school because right. I kind of already had that like identity and that direction where I was like, you know what? I found something I'm good at, which mm -hmm. I think every, every person at that awkward age, I was you know, I was not yeah. the popular kid in school. I was pretty awkward. Everyone mm -hmm. needs some sort of like direction and something that makes them feel good about themselves. And so that really gave right. me that guidance and that confidence boost. And from there, like things just took off. I um, became, you know, I quickly became the top runner of the area that I grew up in. And, mm -hmm. you know, not soon after in California and in the country. And then by the time I was a senior in high school, I had um, a couple of national championships under my belt, and I also um, qualified for two world championships um, getting wow. into college. So, yeah, and then I, I chose UCLA, and I'm um, sorry, that's a really long response, but that 
kind of just describes from start to finish, like how I got started with running. And I definitely do owe it all to my dad. Um, mm -hmm. I really respect him more than anyone. He is, you know, I would say one of the best athletes I've ever met, although he didn't have the same opportunity that I right. did to be able to pursue that. He just showed right. me. Right. And well, well, first of all, this is the Move Swiftly podcast, so there aren't any time limits. You can take as long <laughs> as you can take as long as you need to, and nothing is off limits. And the second thing I want to bring up, you know, and especially for you parents listening in, particularly you fathers out there, you know, I just had a guest on is Kayla Bradham, and she struggled. She struggled. She was not nearly she she spoke very in depth about how she would do everything in her power to get her dad to recognize her. I mean, she was very transparent. She's been homeless. She's been, she's been through a lot. And she talked uh, so much about just wanting her dad to notice her. And on this side now, you have someone who has a father who was there for the daughter. And you see the difference. You see just having that one activity. I mean, guys, listen, I, I, I get, I don't care what happened with the moms. I don't care what you've got to be there. You know, just be just giving money, just doing whatever it is you do and going out and work is not going to work. Being there, actually doing an activity with someone. Just listen, just listen, <laughs> listen to the show. Listen to how much it changed her life. I mean, this was something that became her identity. By the time she got to high school, when most girls are only thinking about losing their virginity, only thinking about doing things that are just completely off the rate, like just I'll be honest with you. That's why I'm scared for my niece. My niece is going to start a, going to start high school in the next year or so. And my focus is like, how do you find something that she's so passionate about where she can focus on and get control and be something that do something that's productive. So, you know, shout out to dad on that. And then not only shout out to dad, but obviously shout out to the mom as well to making sure, you know, you were able to follow up on that you know okay we're gonna go to the mall but i'm not just gonna give you these things let's make you work for it let's make you work for it let's make you work for it so kudos to mom and dad on that that that's something that we need more of we really do truly i was uh, unfortunately i didn't really realize the the effect and how mm -hmm. good i had it growing up but now i definitely look back and i realize i had it so good growing up i mean mm. yes like kind of being in an environment that you have more surveillance it can it has its pros and cons of course just like with every, yes. everything but yes. just to have someone there because they want to see you succeed and they want to make sure you have all the opportunities that you want right. and you didn't have I think that's what being a parent is right and I yes. completely agree with you when it comes to priorities like high school is such a tough time and now like in the year 2022 I think that like it's so crazy. I, I see kids in high school now and I'm like, you're not in high school. Like, how are you so like, I mean, you're just ready to do all these adult things and mm -hmm. make adult decisions. It's so crazy. And mm -hmm. I would say, yes, like knowing how to get your priorities straight. And that's something that my parents are really good at making sure like, yes, now it's not the time to be, you know, like, boy crazy, as they would always say it. Don't be exactly crazy. like stay focused on your goals because you know, most of us, I think, don't want to stay in the same place where we were raised. Most of us want to get up and go somewhere and, you know, make something of ourselves. Listen, I, I do workshops at high schools. I, I go to high schools and I, I deliver workshops. And I went to a high school not too long ago where the athletic director was showing me around. And we walked in, like, we walked past a group of girls that were looking at the sonogram. <laughs> looking at a sonogram and we just look it's like what is going like like looking at it as if they were ready for a baby and, and, and as you're talking I'm like man it's crazy to think about you know if they had the right guidance if they were in a situation where they understand that these things are not it's not something to joke with putting a baby out in the world you know teen pregnancy is not something to joke with and right. you know what what I respect like I was mentioning in the beginning what I respect about you and your you have a podcast too it's locker talk I mean you nothing is off limits no. and you just you, you just said something that really I, I want to I don't want to just brush it off but you you said you didn't appreciate the love and support that your parents had you didn't always appreciate it can you kind of speak a little bit about the moment in which you started to appreciate it like what happened what did you see I know you went to UCLA you you had a great career there's all these great things happening to you when did you like come to that realization that man you need to appreciate mom and dad more I think like I definitely had my moments growing mm -hmm. up before I left for college anytime 
I accomplished or achieved something and I would relish in that accomplishment. You know, I realized like I was, I, I think because they did raise me well and teach me good values, like mm-hmm. I would say that any sort of accomplishment I had, I was very good at like giving credit where credit was due and knowing that like, hey, this was a team effort. Like I, yeah. I, yes, my body was the one that was like physically doing this movement, but the reason I'm here are because of these two very important people that have made me who I am. And so I think I did have a pretty good head on my shoulders growing up knowing like, hey, yes. But I think what I mean by that is sometimes kind of building resentment where I felt maybe like I was missing out on certain things, like um, certain things just weren't always priorities, whether it was a school dance and Mm. I needed to be in bed sleeping before um before a meet or if I you know if a guy liked me and my mom would tell me don't talk to them that's a waste Mm. of your time you're not allowed to speak with them stay focused just things Mm -hmm. like that and um definitely I would say by the time I was out on my own in college I realized it even more where it's like hey I'm I'm off on my own now it's it's definitely different I don't have that team behind me at all times like making sure I've eaten and making sure I'm like I have groceries in general and like paying the bills and taking all of those other, taking care of all those other things. Um, So I would say, yes, definitely once you're out on your own, it kind of like hits you all at once too, where you're like, wow, I'm here because of these people that helped me get here. Like it's definitely Mm -hmm. an effort. Yeah, I I felt the same way. I went to, um, my first three years of college, I was college, I was in three different campuses. So (laughs) I know exactly what you mean. You, You don't realize the, how much you need them, how much you really kind of depend on them until you're off on your own. And then you hear other situations, you hear about, you know, what someone else is going through. And, and it's unbelievable to kind of think about a lot of these things. So, right. you know, what, what was, what was UCLA like for you? And I know you were an athlete. How was, was it difficult to, to stay on top of your studies? You know, what did you major? What was your, what was like your college experience like? Yeah, I would say I definitely had the unconventional experience at UCLA. Um, I started there in 2011. And um, so, yes, quite a, quite a while ago and definitely was a sheltered um, young woman growing up. Like I said, I just put all of my focus onto my academics and running that like I felt like there were other areas that I kind of felt underdeveloped in like socially sometimes like I just was definitely like pretty sheltered in that sense and a little naive as well. Um, so I was definitely in for a culture shock moving from a small town into like LA. Mm-hmm. Um, I was excited about it, but I think there was just so much at once, right? Like mm-hmm. you have a new coach and you have new training and you're around new people. And um, I think also too, like that was the first time I start. I started to kind of understand like hey, I'm a little different from the average like demographic here. Um, I wasn't from the most affluent area, obviously, Apple Valley. Um, mm-hmm. Most of my teammates and peers were from Orange County. And so mm-hmm. like, and it's like I, I was on club teams growing up too. So I, I met a lot of different people from different backgrounds. But I think it was the first time where I felt sometimes a bit ostracized in situations because maybe I didn't have the same means as them or because mm-hmm. I I needed to work so that I could support myself while, you know, they had all this extra free time. And um, I would say that was sometimes tough because I was still young enough where I really cared about what other people thought about me. Like now I really, I'm sure you can tell, like I could not care less. I'm like, okay, if you, if you think poorly of me, that's, that's kind of on you because I'm, it's not my job to like, please you. It's my job to be the best person that I can be. Right. Um, but yes, academics were brutal. Um, definitely going into that. And likewise, I'll tell you that you're not alone with that one. <laughs> it was yeah, tough. It's just very different. It's almost like a job where I just didn't feel like prepared for that. Of course, like you just can't really be prepared for UCLA. And then when you're mm-hmm. an athlete as well, it just you already have to put so much time into training and then traveling and competing keeping up with academics can be really difficult and then mm-hmm. like sleep I can remember I would be very tired in class too because I'd be training so much um mm-hmm. so that that was tough but I was also there was a lot of excitement too because I was just so happy to be there and mm-hmm. um but I think I what made you what made you pick UCLA 
I chose UCLA because I was, I don't, I don't know. I was looking for that moment when it came to the recruiting process. Um, I had, of course, like many schools um, interested and I was talking to a lot of different programs and seeing what would be the best fit for me. And I was so torn. I thought maybe Arizona would be good because it was a similar climate with a similar terrain for training. But then of course, mm -hmm. like really learning to like understand that it's even though my life felt like running was the end all be all, it wasn't like academics were just as important. And um, mm -hmm. my mom gave me good advice too. She was like, make sure you choose somewhere where you'd be happy if mm -hmm. like God forbid running doesn't work out. And I remember seeing the campus and just falling in love with it. It's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if you've ever. Uh, have you I, no, I've never, yeah, I've never been to UCLA. Yeah, they call it the Ivy League of the West Coast. So I feel, or the mm -hmm. East, it's the Ivy League of the West Coast. So as a, as a New Yorker or ex-New Yorker, I should say. Um, Is that I, where you were born? No, for you, I would say. Oh, yeah. So it's. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, well, I was, so I was born in Silver Spring and then. I just went to I went to Stony Brook for college, but I did have okay. a lot of I had a lot of family. Like growing up, I would travel to New York quite a bit, but it was more in the yeah. city. Right. So being on campus, I think you would feel a little like, am I on the East Coast or the West Coast? They have a lot Word? of those, like, brick buildings. And okay. uh, yeah, it's beautiful. I truly fell in love with it right from the beginning. Um, that's kind of how I am with a lot of things in life. Like usually it's like an instant feeling where I'm like, yep, this is it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so I was really happy there. I just would say that my mental health really started to take a toll once I got stuck in that comparison trap because I was no mm -hmm. longer like the standout star. I was surrounded by other people that were just as good or better or peaking and I had kind of already peaked. And um, when you're going through so many other changes, it's right. not really the ideal time to be like at the prime of your life because- mm -hmm. I think being at the prime of your life involves really putting your everything into that. And I wasn't putting my everything into that because I just simply could not. I just had so many other things I was balancing. And, and that's what the true triumph of being a student athlete is, I think. It's just like learning how to navigate that and to succeed. And sometimes yeah. success isn't necessarily what we really imagine for ourselves. But I think if we go down and look at like this deeper meaning, like and even student athletes today, if they're like, hey, I'm not doing as well as like I wanted to be, but I'm going through a lot of changes right now. And I would say like, I'm proud of myself for making it this yeah. far and for like putting in that effort every day, because that's really all we can do. Right. But unfortunately, back then, I did not see it that way. And I was just super disappointed because I wanted to see like I just expected like this instant improvement right off yeah. the bat and like I'd be a standout in the you know in the Pac-12 and this and that and it wasn't there and I think that's when my eating disorders and depression really started affecting me and then it was more so like into my second year where things started to catch up with me and I started to struggle financially more and learning how to like balance like having you know, recreational spending with like bills and learning that like my part-time job at the school gym was not going to cut it when it came to like supporting myself in metropolitan LA. And that's when I really started experiencing food insecurity on campus, which for those listening, that's something I'm really passionate about um, talking about and addressing is just someone that's food insecure, someone that doesn't have like, um, regular access to nutritional like healthy food and luckily there's a lot of um support with that on campuses now which is great but back then no one was talking about that and just I felt embarrassed to ever say like right. hey, like I can't afford groceries this week because I needed to pay for this but I'm also training 100 miles a week and I'm literally like freaking starving and mm -hmm. like I can't function so after a while, like my health started really taking a toll and then my mental health was obviously not doing well. So yeah, I would say it was really good until it wasn't. And I liked what you said, Aswan, in the beginning about mindset, because mm -hmm. in, in hindsight, I look back on it and I'm like, I think honestly, and even what I know about myself today, when I start to kind of go down those rabbit holes, because again, yeah. it's not like a finish line, like, oh, it just goes. No, away. of course, no, once you it, struggle, it's always going to be there, there right? Yeah, but once when I do fall down those rabbit holes, 
and sometimes it takes you know a conversation with a loved one or you mm -hmm. know my husband kind of talking me out of it or whatever but right. I'm like, wow it's it can be just a simple change of a couple like sentences to yourself and you're feeling better and then like one good action kind of changes everything and so sometimes I look back on it and I'm like I wonder if my mindset would have just been different and I could have been more vocal about what was going on or you know who knows but yeah, that was that. Those were my first two years. And then I ended up taking a lot of time off because I just, um, I went through like a really bad mental breakdown and my mental health was just like at an all time low. And I just felt like I couldn't run anymore. It was really weird to mm. describe back then, but I would like leave for a run and my body just felt like it couldn't move. And I would just start like hysterically crying. And I always just wanted to be in isolation. I didn't want to interact with people. Um, I think at the time I weighed like 80, 89 pounds. Um, oh my goodness. Yeah, I was in the hospital like every week with something going on and just a lot. It was a lot at once. And I think especially for someone that was so young, you know, when you're you're 20 years old and you're navigating that, it's, 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 it's scary because you really don't understand fully what's going on, I don't think, because you don't even fully know yourself yet. Right. Um, but yeah, I would say once I, how old was I? I went back to school when I was um, 23, I think I went back to school. And um, like, I finally felt like I had kind of healed from that experience because I think what had happened was I took a leave of absence with the intention as wanted of like coming back and competing. But I had ended mm -hmm. with my coach just telling him like, hey, like I'm really struggling. This is, I'm going through A, B, and C right now. Like I'm just mm -hmm. not in he was in full support of me like taking time off and then I came back and it turned out I actually had lost my NCAA eligibility due to oh my gosh credits issues because I you know I probably should have taken a course or two during my like six month leave of absence but I didn't know anything about that and you know I think today it would be different if someone were to be like yeah I need like a mental health break um mm -hmm. I think there's more protections for that but now there aren't I mean back then there weren't and so yeah I mean in the in a blink of an eye just my career was over I wouldn't mm -hmm. be you compete at UCLA or even transfer and I was so lost after that I, I you know you've I think people hear, oh, she came back after six months. Okay, that's the end of it. And it's like, no, nope, that was just the beginning. Um, huh. Because once I learned that, like, you know, my career was over, which of course it wasn't over. I could have just competed in like road races or done individual things. But, right. you know, my dream was to compete in college and to right. really have that experience. And to lose that was like so heartbreaking for me. Um, I also worked at a restaurant in Westwood, like where um, UCLA, Westwood Village, so right where UCLA is. And a lot of my old teammates, they would go eat there. And it was so awkward. Like, it, I don't think it's ever a good feeling when you're, you know, 20 years old and um, you're serving people that like kind of have this elitist attitude. Um, but yep. they would come in and like not even acknowledge me and like kind of mm -hmm. stare at me and whisper. And it just made me feel su like such a loser and my self-esteem was so bad. And I went through this period where I would like, I started like really doing a lot of like self-sabotage things. Like I'd get really bad social anxiety because I would see how people would act when they would see me in those environments. And I'd feel so embarrassed to be me. And there were times where I wouldn't leave my apartment for days at a time. Like I'd call out of work or uh, even if I did go out, I would avoid people at all costs because I didn't So I just had no self-esteem. I was in a really bad place and it took me years to like climb out of that depression. But anyway, when I finally went back, um, finished it off and had a completely different experience. I was more mature to handle like the academic course load. And that's when I was more more mature to be able to vocalize like what I'm passionate about, like mental yeah. health, food insecurity. And I was able to just become more involved, like as a scholar and academically, which was great because I did internships and I did great networking, which I really didn't yeah. have before because I was too worried about what other people thought about me. Right. But yeah. That's, I know it's a long story, but I just have the craziest story. I wish I, I don't wish, but I, I think sometimes people are like, for ta like Taj, for example, he's like, yeah, I, I went, I 
I I loved college. I had a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm not right. gonna lie. And football was great, but then it was over, and that and that's kind of when his struggle started. Mine was just like up and down and up and down for a, yeah. a very long time. Yeah, and I I I'm very I'm so appreciative of your transparency and your vulnerability. But there, there was something that you said that really kind of started that whole, you know, started you kind of reliving those moments. And you said the comparison trap. Yeah. And, you know, that's something that I, as I speak to young girls now with social media and what it does and how it creates, how it kind of feeds into this comparison trap. I believe it was Bob Marley who said he, these technological advancements, it's a world that forces lifelong insecurity. Uh, if you can, if you can kind of speak to the dangers of the comparison track, because you said you went from 2011, you know, to, to those two years, I believe Instagram got really big. It wasn't just right. Facebook. There were all these things where you can just look at a phone. And I'm, I'm talking to you from a guy's perspective now. Right. We're scrolling through. We're like, oh, man, she's fine. She's fine. She's fine. And we're, you know, we're judging you guys based on those pictures. And so too often, and this is what the show has always been about, it's, you know, I want you guys to hear from the, I, I want to hear from the women's perspective, because from the guy's perspective, we know how we act, you know, especially in the college age and we're looking through social media. Is she someone I want to message? Is she not? But we don't think, man, you know, what does the uh, opposite sex go through when they put it out there? You know, what if it's someone that is new to a situation? You know, how do they go about using social media in those kinds of ways? And, and those are the things like when these platforms came out, they didn't really think of it. They didn't really think of the comparison and how, how, how we can really take a person down when it comes to the mental health. So can you kind of kind of speak on that a little bit when it comes to that comparison trap? Absolutely. Well, first off, Oswan, thank you so much for like your empathy and your willingness to like kind of step into the other shoes mm -hmm. <laughs> of the other gender. Like I think that speaks volumes because I honestly, I find myself in real life often asking people that are males I should say like can you just try to like imagine what it would be like to be in my right. shoes and I would say to start off like modern day I would say there's so much pressure for so many reasons and there's just different categories as a woman and I think number one I would say like a huge thing is when it comes to like your relationships it makes it really difficult to have like relationships where you can fully trust like what's going on like of course it doesn't feel good I think social media has taught us to like compete against each other in some mm -hmm. ways because you always feel like you're in competition with like the next girl like you couldn't have said it better yourself you guys just like kind of scroll through the phones and you look at the girls and um it's in a way I feel like almost become desensitized like you can mm -hmm. look at like naked women anytime you want how many however many you would like you have access right. to just like so much and to me it's very overwhelming and like I think from like a relationship perspective because you kind of feel like I'm always going to be compared to someone else or I'm never right. enough it's never going to be just me even if it is like 3d or through that kind of like um an experience but so I think it impacts relationships which I think like if you're in a relationship and you're feeling like hey I'm not good enough like I'm dealing with this then mm -hmm. that affects your mental health I would say right. um image wise like so like externally I would say I'm just so over it I feel like you look around yeah. maybe it's because I'm in LA but everyone looks exactly like each other and I'm like why mm -hmm. does everyone want to look like the other person and I'm right. someone, I think it's maybe part of because I'm a middle child but I always like to stand out and be different and like just do things that are different and so to see a, a culture where everyone chooses who society deems to be the most attractive person and then everyone tries to model that so they're like okay well this is what Kylie Jenner is doing so let's all do mm -hmm. this or this is what Madison Beer wears so like we're all gonna wear like our pants like this and do our makeup like this and wear our hair like this but it's just so boring to me and like just be yourself and I, I understand like there's a difference between like choosing inspiration and 
you know, seeing what you like and kind of modeling after that, or just like doing something because you feel like you have to do that in order to get attention. And that's why it's so dangerous for like younger girls, because I think mm-hmm. someone like me, you know, I'm a fully developed woman with a strong sense of self. Like I, I know, I know what works for me and I know what doesn't at this point, right. or I know what's a detriment to my mental health and what's not, but it's definitely a lot. Like today, I I worry sometimes. I stay off social media as much as I can, and mm-hmm. I just yeah, I just think that like for those that are listening, if you're struggling for any of those reasons I mentioned, right. just like externally, just try to tune in to like what feels good to you. Like there's definitely a way to use social media in a way where it like makes you feel good, not like right. you feel like you're not enough. Um, and then also like if you're in a relationship or like you're talking to someone and you feel like they're just always going to be looking at women that are all over the place. Like right. that's like your, you need to like make that decision. It's a red flag, girl. It's a red right. flag. Don't like, are you, don't yeah. <laughs> like you don't have to put up with that. Like you can decide right. if you want to permit that and promote that, or if you're going to like, you know, not engage with that kind of behavior. Mm-hmm. But I would say going backwards when I was going through the comparison trap. Yeah. Like I was, 18 years old I um had never had a boyfriend and I you know so I think that's like a huge thing you go to college and you're like I'm so excited to experience relationships or it's so funny though because I feel um like kids say it so differently these days I was watching a documentary um her name's Jazz Jennings she was the first transgender um Mm -hmm. she was the first child to come out with like gender dysphoria and she she goes to Harvard now and she was talking about leaving and she was like, I can't wait to have sexual experiences. And mm-hmm. and it's, I mean, I think of like the way I phrased it. I was like, I can't wait to meet my Prince Charming and like, you know, maybe he's the person I'm going to marry. Like mm-hmm. I just look at things so much differently, but regardless yeah. of the way you look at it, I think you're at that age, you're like, okay, I need attention. Like I'm a mm-hmm. girl and I need a guy to look at me. Like I'm a girl and right. I need a guy to notice me. What do I need to do to get that? Right. And, I mean, I think it's very common at that age. I think it's normal. And I think it's also normal to like compare yourself to the people around you. Mm-hmm. I think for me, the main one was just involving running because I noticed, okay. Yeah. And that's what got super dangerous. And I think a lot of other people on the team did that, which is why. Mm-hmm. Yep. Sometimes these team situations can become toxic because especially in distance running climates where it's like, okay, um, so-and-so is, you know, just got a PR and looks like she just lost a bunch of weight too. And also I noticed this is what she eats and I noticed she doesn't eat that much. So I think I need to start doing that too. And definitely that's what the culture was like where We'd get mm-hmm. back from winter break and someone's whispering like, oh, like, look, so-and-so looks like she lost a, a bunch of weight. What's going on? And I need to do that too. And why am I not doing that? Or so-and-so is running double the amount of miles for the second run of the day. Like I should be doing that too. And it's so exhausting. It was so exhausting. Mm-hmm. I like felt like I could never rest and it wasn't a good feeling. Like I like I think we're all special and we there's room for all of us to succeed and flourish and be noticed the way we want to be noticed. So to feel like you're constantly having to compare yourself to other people, it's very detrimental to your mental health. Um, Mm -hmm. For me, how I deal with it now, I just, when I started going through my struggles, I deleted all social media and not to this day, like I still stay off of social media. Like I just don't think it's an effective use of my time. And like I said right. before, you have the power to curate your feed to like yeah. what that serves you. Um, and even if you're a man too, like if you're like as one and starting to be cognizant of like, mm-hmm. hey, all I do on social media, I'm in a relationship and I go on social media just to look at pictures of women that really don't respect themselves and are just posting like, you know, right. pretty much naked photos of themselves. Like right. you have the ability as a man too to like kind of man up and be like, you know what, this is kind of a waste of time. Like it shows that I lack willpower and self-discipline. I could be right. I could be doing push-ups or reading a book or investing in a new stock or you know, mm-hmm. doing something productive instead of just kind of sitting down. Cause what happens is this is only getting perpetuated, you know, like society mm-hmm. patterns in society only continue because you know, patterns get perpetuated and it just continues on from that. When you don't give something power, there's no way for it to grow. 
Um, you know, if you're not feeding a virus, like it's eventually going to diminish and disappear altogether. But um, that's definitely not the case now. But I think that there's definitely ways where as a society, we can improve. And it, it starts with both men and women kind of making those changes. But yeah, I, I appreciate you for kind of wondering, I wonder what goes on through the through the woman's mind. It's definitely, it's definitely an experience, that's for sure. It's definitely a journey. But it's all you can do, I've learned, is like kind of control how you want to present yourself in the world. Mm -hmm. You want to react to what's around you and what works best for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because, well, the the concept, and you, you just kind of alluded to it, the concept of school is very secure. It seems so secure. I think Kanye said right. that one time. The concept of school seems so secure. So most, a lot of people, whether it's male or female, they do what they got to do in high school. They get good grades. They get into a good school. And all of a sudden they feel like, all right, everything's just supposed to happen. I'm supposed to be with this person that I met on a college campus, even though it's right. so, like, it's such a small, small part of your actual existence. Do you know how young 19 20 year old you are like you know how young you are at that age like you have your entire right. life ahead of you and yeah. I used to see it all the time as a football player I, I didn't play for them big or big school you know Taj and I played for a very small school Stony Brook University and I'd see guys you know do like really really make the wrong decision because right. they were afraid of being alone and yeah. that 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 is a that is a key point this technologically driven world we are afraid of being alone what should be happening is a lot of the connections like me and hannah right now where we're going out we're doing some great things like i didn't even have a social i didn't have a social media account until my first book came out and this was a little before this was a little before COVID when i realized all right you needed to promote your book and ever since then it's been about i'm going to reach out to someone about my book or about my podcast and it's a productive i'm ready to handle it now and what is happening now is instead of us growing closer now we're becoming more isolated to where all right i got this account and instead of me growing it i'm just going to try to stay in my cocoon it's a, another quote i always love to talk about is seth golden he says when when people say oh i want i can't do this because my boss won't let me well of course your boss won't let you because what you've done is you said you want to do something really neat and really exciting if it works i'll get the credit if it doesn't you'll get the blame no one would take that deal but what people are really saying is no one's given me an effective place to hide. And what social media has done is it's given people an effective place to hide. You could talk yeah. all the shit you want. You could talk. I mean, you, you just go in on people on social media. When you see them face to face, we don't hear you, right? We don't hear you. Oh, no. uh, they, they call it, you know, they call it thumb thugs, Twitter thugs, whatever it is. And, <laughs> and that's why, you know, and, and that was the thing is I was, it was a whole, I remember texting Todd when I was listening to the episode you guys did. And I remember telling him, look, I had an hour drive from Miami all the way to West Palm beach. And I felt like I was like, you guys were just going at it. And the, the name of your podcast, just to put it out there is women's locker talk. Is that, that's the correct name, correct? That's correct. Yes. Can you speak a little bit about it? And I listened to a few episodes. You keep it as authentic, keep it 100, as I'm sure the listeners can expect now. Can you talk a little bit about how that process got started? Because I know you, you know, you went through your depression, you went through eating disorders. It was tough for you to kind of pull yourself out. I'm sure even to this day, it's not easy telling these stories. When were you able to get to a place where you felt like compelled to share these things? Like if you didn't share it, you would, you would die. You would die if you didn't tell people. Can you talk a little bit about when those, those feelings started happening? Yes, I would say probably the day that I sat in my coach's office and he told me that I would never be able to compete for UCLA again. And from oh, there on, I was just like, wow. Like I went from feeling like I had everything to just like feeling like I was nothing in just such a short amount of time like it went from you know being flown to different countries on team USA's dime with nice now what what age was this? was this like 23 or 24 like when you went back or how did that when I went back to oh after my first leave of absence that was I was 20 so mm -hmm. I left when I was 19 and I came back when I was 20 it was just right. six months so it wasn't even right. that long it was just okay. you know long enough um and 
Yeah, I mean, that's what I wanted to share. And I just was couldn't believe that just a couple of wrong decisions could really like shake your world upside down and completely change the trajectory of your life. Um, mm -hmm. I owed money to the university, so I wouldn't be able to go back until like I had paid that money back. Um, from the place that I was at during that time, I couldn't pay that back overnight. It took a few years to pay that back. And yeah, we're talking, well, we're talking LA people. So right yeah we're talking LA yeah UC school and took uh -huh. me a long time to be able to pay that back and then kind of also deal with that grief like I think it took me time to just like have that maturity to understand like okay it's not so much about like you don't want to go back because you're sad since you can't compete anymore it's like let's make your life better you know I was working like double shifts in a restaurant every day. Like granted, I worked my way up and worked in some pretty great restaurants. Um, but like you realize, hey, I don't wanna do this forever. And maybe some people are content with that, but I knew I wasn't content with that. And I felt like I had a higher purpose. I, and I mm -hmm. think people like you and Taj that are what I call light workers, um, you mm -hmm. guys have a higher purpose. It's innate in you. You were born to communicate and speak. And that's kind of how I felt. I felt like, hey, not so much like this happened to me. I need to complain about it. It was more so like, mm. hey, it's not okay that like no one cared about like the experience I went through. And I'm also, oh, man. yeah, and I'm not an anomaly. Like bad things happen to people every day. And I kind of wanted to become a person that was a voice to say like, Hey, like if you're talking about an eating disorder, someone shouldn't be telling you to stop sharing so much. Or if mm. you're saying that you need help, like someone shouldn't be telling you to like keep things to yourself or like to be private about your situations. Like we're meant to like share our struggles so we can learn from each other. And I would say that's where that desire started very early on. But the problem as one was because of where I was at with my eating disorders, I mean, I was like, could barely go out into public. Like I'd go to work and that was it. Like I didn't want to have a social life. I didn't want to be on social media. And so like before podcast was in my mind, it was more so like kind of social media stardom, like mm -hmm. writing messages on social media. And I wanted to write a book. I always knew I wanted to write a book and get that mm -hmm. out. But I knew in order to have that, I need a platform. And mm. I just didn't want to build a platform because I didn't want to have to take pictures of myself. Like I actually mm. went six years without taking pictures of myself because I hated the way I looked so much. I thought I was super ugly and I thought that um, I had really bad body dysmorphia. So even if I was like a normal weight, I would look at myself and feel like I was like overweight which was really difficult and not easy to navigate. And so I just knew, and also I kind of knew too, I didn't want to give advice to people. If it wasn't coming from a place of like me being healed. I wanted it to come from a place of like, um, like I went through this and now I'm better because of it. Not like I'm still struggling and like, I'm just going to complain. I wanted it to be more like a hope kind of feeling. Right. Right. So, yeah. I mean, this idea has been going and going and going and going. And then, um, Finally, like this 2022, I was like, this is going to be my year. Like, I don't mm. care. I'm so tired of not living the life that I want. Exactly. And so I told myself this year, I was like, I'm releasing my podcast. Like, I have no idea what I'm doing and I'm going mm -hmm. to figure it out. And um, just like the name itself, like I call it Locker Talk Concept. Like I refer to it as that. Like I have the other names branded like Men's Locker Talk. Mm -hmm. locker talk university um lgbtq locker talk um all those names just because i realized i didn't want it to be strictly to women like i wanted to be able to have give everyone a chance to feel like i can listen it resonates with me there's content that resonates with everyone because mm -hmm. we all deserve a seat at the table you know like it i think you can relate to this maybe in a different way as one as I discussed with Taj but like as a black man and like for me as someone that struggled with mental health or struggled with um, my socioeconomic status and I felt like I was excluded at times in my life it never feels good when you feel like you're being excluded from the table so I wanted to make sure I was serving something where everyone has a seat everyone has a locker um, as mm -hmm. I and that's what bred locker talk. And then plus that idea, I think you hear locker room. So you immediately think of sports and then like 
I'm sure in, in my graphic, you see it's pretty simple, but I wanted it to have that like um, locker room feel like the shower, but mm -hmm. the shower also represents our raw emotions, like kind of letting go of suppressed things that we've kept in, especially um, as our society has told us, you know, be strong, don't cry. Or like, as a man, be a man, don't cry, don't talk about it. And I was like, nope, here, we're going to talk about it. And we're going, we might cry. I know I've, I've, I cry a lot. I've cried a lot over the years and that's kind of what that's about. So I hope that answers your question. Yeah. You're, you're touching on some deep topics now. You really are. You're touching on some really, really deep topics because my high school, I, I experienced so much bullying in my high school because it was a, it was a predominantly white high school. And my first year, I wasn't a part of the football team of the high school yet. And my, so this, and, and every time I speak and, it's because the first, by the way, it's because of people like you, I'm able to speak to this. I'm able to open up now and tell other kids exactly what it was like. But my freshman year, just to, for you listeners who may or may not have heard this story, but freshman year, I ended it with a 1.5. I was a black kid. And to the knowledge of all of my peers, I didn't play any sports. And I, and I put this out there in the crowd. And I say, you know, be honest. Would you even talk to that dude? He's black. To my knowledge, he doesn't play any sports and his grades suck. You know, he, it, I was the definition of a social misfit. My sophomore year, I got, I got actually physically assaulted by an actual teacher. Two, it was two, it was a trainer, two trainers, to where I was draped up steps, slammed against the wall and thrown into the principal's office. And I tell that story so, I tell that story so much, but if you would have tried to get that out of me, maybe maybe two years ago before the podcast even started i would i was still suppressing those things right. and then you know george floyd happened the trayvon martin situation you just saw situation after situation after situation to where i felt like if i don't come out and speak to this issue you know the 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 black men young black men out there who are constantly being bitch smacked by society and we have to sort of be kind of be quiet about it i couldn't be quiet about it because right. there, there were just as many black people who I think, and to be honest with you, just take advantage of the situation. There's just, I mean, listen, there's, there's white people that are wrong, but then there's probably more blacks that have done me wrong over the years because the, it, it's, it's convenient. When George, like when George Floyd passed away, why don't we have that same energy when a black person kills a black person? You know, why, why don't we have each other's back? Why, why is it happen only when, you know, the news medias pick it up? Right. And those were the things that, and those were the things that you, you know, you were saying, because you're right, all of us feel it mentally, whether you're a white girl who goes through an eating disorder, or you're a black man that has to go to school with a bunch of white people, we're all going to the same place of that comparison is like, am I allowed to say certain things? Am I going to stay quiet? But here's the truth about it. And this is for you listeners, anyone that may be listening to me right now that is struggling with whatever you're struggling with. I know I'm not the only one. You can't stay quiet. <laughs> you can't stay quiet because if you stay quiet, you are doing the world a disservice. One of my favorite people, my favorite authors, Marianne Williamson, you are doing us this service. You're playing small does not serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so others won't feel insecure around you. Take that to heart, man. Take that to heart because it, it's it's a world where I get it. I get initially it's going to be really difficult, but at some point, this is probably some advice for you. At some point, you are going to have to take pictures, by the way. But, you know, at some point, we, we, we have to be out there, step out there boldly and authentically in our truth. And the, the freedom that you will get from that, I can't put it into words. It, it's something that I, you know, I can't put it into words. It's something that you're going to feel and you're just never going to stop. You're just never going to stop. It's like you're going to pinch yourself one more. It's like, I cannot believe I did that. I cannot believe it's me. And, and, you know, with that, I, I really want to kind of dive into, you know, the book you want to write. Like, what's what's next? Can you please just tell people what's next, Hannah? Like, you know, I, I'm sure they're so excited. I'm sure you have so many more things. Like, I, I'm sitting there talking to you, and I feel like you haven't even scratched the surface of what you can become in five years. So can you just speak on that a little bit? I really appreciate that. And like you said earlier, I I think what I've realized, like you said, if you are not where you want to be, that's your fault. And that's mm. kind of that scary realization was really starting to creep up on me. Um, 
on my, what birthday was that? 27th birthday. It was during the pandemic. And I was just like, I'm 27 years old. What the heck have I done with my life? What happened? I mean, mm. how did time go by so quickly? I just feel like this bad thing happened. And I've just kind of lamented in that sense and just felt like I couldn't go anywhere. And I really started to focus on healing. And I was like, let's get back to healing and focus on like, what's going on internally still? Like, what are these blockages that are holding you back? Because of course, if like, you're not where you want to be, there is something holding you back, whether it's a person in your life, or whether it's a behavior that you're doing, whether it's a, a drug addiction, or some sort of negative addiction, watching too much TV, or doing this or that. But I focus on all those things, like the people I really was like, okay, what people am I surrounding myself with? Like I, I, um, when I started to notice these things and really take inventory, I was like, I was in a really bad relationship. So I made sure to get out of that relationship. And I did a lot of different, um, I did, I'm not sure if you've heard of like Reiki healing and shadow work. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard yeah. Of that. <laughs> but it really like challenged me to kind of look at myself and take a deep dive and I was speaking with a healer and she said the most fascinating thing when she was talking to me about why I felt so stuck and she goes I get it you're scared of being awesome again because mm -hmm. if you're awesome again that means that you could once again have yeah. something that you can do mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you would rather good. just be complacent and safe in life than to work for something and lose it all over again and have to go through that heartbreak that you went through with running all over again. And yeah. once I heard that, it completely changed my mindset. And I was like, you know what? That's exactly it. That's why I haven't been doing what I've been doing. I, Because I had the ideas all along. Like I said, I just wasn't mm -hmm. actually so um, with that said, I would say I'm just getting started, like what you said. Um, I'm so excited for women's locker talk. I really, really want to like get it out there so that we can keep talking about mental health. Um, I mean, and I'm not special, you know, like everyone's talking about mental health now. And mm -hmm. I wish it could have been like that back then, because I remember like my mom whispering like to her friends that I had an eating disorder or like people calling me a quitter because I said I couldn't like train or run anymore because I was depressed or I was struggling too much with eating disorders like that judgment and then it's like you know Simone Biles talked about it in the Olympics and then everyone's mm -hmm. like oh like let's start talking about mental health like let's treat mental health the same way as physical health and mm -hmm. I mean even though like I'm not special and everyone's talking about it as they should be I do think that I also have a story that I can share because I know what it feels like to not have that validation. And then I'm also willing to put in the work and spread the awareness so that we can continue to make things better for our future generations. Um, because that's what experience is about. It's about like taking the lessons from it and sharing it with other people and then passing it down to our future generations so that like the world just keeps improving. Um, but anyways, I have, um, I took the last couple months off, um, just, I, I started a new career, I now work at UCLA in development, um, which is going really well, um, because I'm, you know, as I've talked about, very passionate about serving the underserved, um, and development is essentially like fundraising for the university. Um, so right now, like I work with the Office of Scholarships and Student Support Initiatives, so that's like, obviously, an impact that I'm very passionate about, but I definitely, my like number one goal is to end up in the athletics department, kind of back where it all started, but now like kind of having that direct impact on the student athlete experience. But outside of that, because there's nothing better than working for yourself. And, you know, my podcast is still in the early stages. Like I'd love to be where you are as well, like as a motivational public speaker and getting to book engagements, like you know, you go on Aswan's website and you can book him for a speaking engagement. You know, he's a four-time published author. And I really do see that for myself. Um, mm -hmm. Season two of Women's Locker Talk is coming this summer. Um, there will be a lot of improvements. Like I think as a former athlete, you can, uh, this will resonate where it's like, you kind of are that perfectionist and you love constructive criticism. You love kind of going back at old work and wondering, how can I improve from this? And I know mm -hmm. you do that because I've heard you in your episodes where you're like, 
hey, something I really want to work on is voice control. Or I've, um, mm -hmm. in masters, I learned that I talk too much and um, I'm the same way. Like I look at things and I'm like, how do I want to improve and grow from this and make this better right. and um, make, make this louder, like let more people hear this. So right. social media, website, I really want to start like merchandise that kind of spreads um, that has like body positive quotes and like mental health quotes on the merchandise mm -hmm. so that like people can like buy it and, and think about those things and be mindful of it. Because the more you see these images, that's kind of what our society is at this point. It's just a bunch of imaging. You look around, there's images mm -hmm. everywhere. And it's all about the images that you consume that influence the person that you are and the way that you think and the way that you feel and the way that you are in this world. And so I really wanna work on like putting out really positive imaging and messaging um, through my website and through merchandise that I have available. Um, and then hopefully by the end of the year, I hope to be a published author. Um, thanks to Taj actually, I was talking to him about it and he was willing to work with me on getting two of my books published. Um, and it's the same idea that I've had since I was 21 years old and it's it's mm -hmm. really ready to go. It's really ready to go. And there's um, the adult version and then there's also like a children's book version, which just because I think it's very important to start young, this all starts when you're young. You have to teach your kids and teach your daughters that like they're good the way they are. Like they don't mm -hmm. need to compare themselves to other people. But that's that's kind of like my 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 hot hint for now and more is to come but i appreciate you for asking absolutely well we're all looking forward to it for sure what's the um what's the best way for people to get in touch with you i would say for now either on linkedin um is a good way and then you can always email me it's my first name period valenzuela at ucla.edu and then um, might be easier to like, I mean, I, I will respond to you. I will be so flattered and appreciative if someone listens and wants to talk to me and reaches out to me on LinkedIn or email. But if mm -hmm. you don't want to contact me that way, you're welcome to wait. Um, my website for Women's Locker Talk and all the social media will be up and running by summer. So Okay, well, so by, well, by the time this comes out, it'll right. be it'll be ready. Yes. Exactly. So thank you for asking. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. And we'll, uh, I'll make sure I include that in all the show notes as well. So the, the official last thing I do with all my guests, I don't know if you got a chance to listen to any of the shows yet, but so this is the official thing I want to do is I'll need you to use your imagination a little bit. All right. And you are what you're doing now. You are who you are now. You've made it through. You're kind of just looking back. It's almost like you're looking at a rear view mirror. And the girl who just found out she was cut from the UCLA cross country team is in here. The girl that had the eating disorder, the girl that was depressed, the girl that didn't want to take any pictures, that girl just clicked in. She's here and you are here to just give her some advice, talk her through whatever you want, just say whatever it is you need to say to that girl and we'll officially close. Wow. Um, wow. Where to start? Um, I certainly could have used someone to give me advice. I can't say. I mean, there are times where I definitely would scroll through my phone and I was like, there's not one soul in this world I can talk to right now. And that's definitely where the suicidal ideations came into play. But I would say I would... I would hold her hand and give her a hug and I would tell her that she was great the way she was stop worrying about the little things stop comparing yourself to people focus on your own path and um focus on momentum because I think sometimes we try to look at that like finish line and when we feel so far away from it and off course it can just life just feels so like we just feel so defeated but just focusing on momentum like some sort of movement towards progress is better than perfection. And I would say not to worry about what everyone else is thinking and to uh, don't be afraid to do things that scare you. Um, take things day by day and never sacrifice the integrity of who you are and what you believe.
Mm-mm-mm. I love that momentum. Just focus on momentum. Yeah. All right, Hannah. Well, it's it's been a it's been an absolute pleasure. I mean, I, I'm honored that you're on. I'm, I'm, I'm from day one. I knew it was going to be a great one because again, I, that show with Taj had my undivided attention from Miami all the way to West Palm Beach. So thank you for coming on. Thank you, and uh, I'm I'm okay. really appreciate you know you reaching out to me. I mean, this is only my second podcast I've been interviewed for, so you really gave me a great experience and. When I have you on mine, I look forward to getting more from you from that story of, you know, the the assault you experienced in school and your football mm-hmm. career. So we'll have a lot of great things to talk about. So thank you so much, Aslan. I really appreciate this opportunity. Hey, I'm an open book. I'm one call away. You just let me know when and where I'm there. All right. Thank you so much. All right, fellow teammates, continue to move swiftly. We will talk more soon. Peace of mind. I'm tired of.